Okay, good morning, everyone. Um, pretty much everyone's taking their seats. If you're still outside, can I ask you to come in? We're going to wrap up family time now. And um, if you don't know me, my name's Grant. I'm fairly new here, one of the pastors here. Um, and it is just nice seeing everyone on Sundays. Really do love that. But I'm not going to be preaching today. I'm going to be introducing our preacher this morning. And I kind of asked to do this because I've been um, helping Maria get ready for her message today. And she's got a great message just up front. I just want to let you know. I've loved watching you prepare. It's going to be good. So you don't have to worry about that. It's going to be a great, great message. But I thought just as she gets ready to come up, um, some of you would know Maria, some of you wouldn't. But as someone who's new to the church, I guess I'm getting to know a lot of people that I haven't known, you know, over the years. And there is that reality that first impressions matter or first Im impressions like stick with you. So like, it's not that you're trying to like uh, be perfect or impress people or anything like that. But if you've only met someone once or had a short conversation, you just know what you know about them, you know? So that kind of like face level, like superficial way of knowing someone. And obviously for me and Maria, we've known each other for about three months now. So she's a pretty new friend in my life, but I've just been so impressed by her. And I think I could tell you that she's got a great sense of humor. She's brilliant. She's like a really clever communicator. She thinks really smartly and I think is going to just share a great word. But I thought rather what I would do, because often like one of the critiques about Christians and about preachers and things like that is they don't practice what they preach. You know, they're, they're a hypocrite. And I think for Maria coming up today, she's going to preach the perfect message for her. Um, Maria is someone who I have seen in a bunch of different situations. Is just such a servant-hearted person. It's just so thoughtful and attention-oriented and just notice things and often ask, oh, can I help with that? Or just see something and anticipates. And today, with the message she's going to share, I don't want to give any of the content away or what she's going to say away, but I just wanted to say to you, if you don't know her or you don't know her well, this is like a life message for her. This is something that she lives really, really well. And I think what she's going to share today is going to encourage you. So, Maria, why don't you come up? I'd love to pray for you before you share. And I mean, I think we could encourage her, make a little bit of noise for her, <laughs> help her to feel good and comfortable on the stage. John with a wolf whistle over there. That's what I like to hear. Um, so why don't you guys pray with me for Maria before she shares? Uh, Father, we just thank you for the sister of ours, Maria, and just the hard work she's put into preparing this message for us today. But more than um, what she shares today is who she is, the gift she is to this community, not just the gift of this message. And I just ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would just fill her with peace as she prepares to share and as she speaks. And Lord, we just open our hearts widely to anything you're wanting to say to us. And we're hungry to learn and hungry to grow and hungry to be the people and church that you've called us to be. So would you speak to us today, we ask, and speak to us through our sister Maria. Amen. Thank you. I know the Holy Spirit's already at work because I'm not crying after all those nice things Grant said, which is good. Um, but like Grant said, my name is Maria, and I'm one of the members here at Restored Uptown. Not only am I a member, I'm also the la longest standing intern ever in like the history of Restored. And most of you know that the reason for that is, is that um, the reason that I hold this internship record is because back in the spring of 2020, I ended up making an extremely unprecedented and last minute move to San Diego from India, where I was living as a missionary at the time. And most of you also know that my intention when I first came to San Diego so abruptly was to stay for about two weeks, like max. 
I mean, I will say that I was like open if like that extended to like a month, maybe even two, because like I'm flexible, you know, but no one, including myself, um, could have ever guessed that I would be in San Diego for over two years. But what you might not know is that even though um, it wasn't my plan to stay here this long, I am extremely grateful um, that God has kept me here. Because living in San Diego and being a part of this community in particular has genuinely been one of the most transformative experiences of my life. Here's what I mean. For a myriad of reasons that we don't have time to get into today, um, before I moved to San Diego, I was a fiercely and passionately independent person. I didn't need no man. I didn't need no mom. I didn't no, need no community. Like I didn't need anything. I had learned over the years to carefully curate a life that allowed me to survive via self-sufficiency. But when I moved to San Diego in the midst of a worldwide pandemic, in a lot of ways, I was stripped of my ability to be self-reliant. I didn't have a car, I didn't have a home, and I didn't have a way to navigate this uh, temporary stay <laughs> in this new place on my own. And that's where the transformative experience comes in because, again, when I first moved here back in the spring of 2020, I was still a complete stranger to most of the community here at Uptown. But despite that, I was given a home to stay by Ali and Campbell Shengel, who aren't here today, and Allison Royce Nicholas, and then Tabitha and Felipe Escalera, and then Julia Price even gave up her bed for two weeks so I could stay with them. Hillary Richards let me borrow her car multiple times. In addition to that, people in this community have prayed with me when I was anxious about how things would work out for me logistically long-term. They encouraged me when I've had to navigate like extremely difficult conversations with my biological family. And even just a couple weeks ago, like I was so encouraged by a prophetic word shared with me by a person in this community. And the list honestly goes on. I have felt loved, included, cared for, provided for, celebrated, ministered to, and encouraged. And the reason I bring this up is because these simple yet radical acts of kindness that have impacted me deeply, they're not the normal standard for the way that people treat one another in our world. Like people don't just give you their car to use for weeks or let you stay in their home rent-free or share words of prophecy and encouragement with you which come from their times of praying for you specifically. And the longer that I stayed in San Diego and the more I experienced the generosity, the hospitality, the kindness of God's people, the more that I began to, the more that God began to soften my heart and push against my idealized life of self-sufficiency. And over time, through these experiences via the unique gifts, talents, and personalities of the people in this church, God challenged and changed my notion of a life of complete independence. Sorry. And over time, what I realized was that if I wanted to fully experience like satisfaction in Jesus, if I wanted to live the abundant life that Jesus promised his followers, I actually could not continue to live life on my own. I needed to surrender myself and my self-sufficiency into a healthy, interconnected church community. 
And here's the thing. I don't think I'm the only one here who needs the church or who has mistakenly valued and lived a life fiercely independent and self-sufficient. I mean, this is America, right? Like, that's what we're known for. We're self-sufficient. We're independent. We don't need anything. But I also don't think I'm the only one here who has experienced being deeply impacted by other followers of Jesus. Like, maybe you've experienced someone from your gospel community regularly taking time to help you care for your kids. Or maybe someone helped you subsidize your rent so you could live in the house that you live in now. Or maybe your marriage went through a crisis or two and you experienced multiple people gathering around you, supporting you, praying for you, sharing scripture with you, and having faith with you while you navigated a deeply difficult season. Whatever it may have been, the reality is that we need each other in order to live the kind of life that Jesus intended for us. When Jesus was born into this world, um, he could have lived an independent life. And I do not think we would have judged him for it. I mean, he's God, right? (laughs) But then also he came from a perfect place where there was no sin and no selfishness into a world that can often feel plagued with trouble and turmoil and trials. But still, he chose to come, and by being born into our world, he connected his life to ours. And in doing so, he connected our life to one another. He made us family. And like any healthy family, we have to continually learn and reevaluate what it looks like to live in a way that leads us towards a life of satisfaction in Jesus together. Because in a healthy family, the dynamic, the culture, the way of life that shape the people within it, it doesn't happen by accident. And in the same way, a life of satisfaction in Jesus is found when we are living in a community that is shaped by the example and the teaching of Jesus. And so today, as we continue our dissatisfied series, that's the practice that we're going to look at. We find satisfaction in Jesus as we live our lives in a community of people called the church who live intentionally, know their influences, and have interconnected lives. So again, we find satisfaction in Jesus as we live our lives in a community of people called the church who live intentionally, know their influences, and have interconnected lives. So if you have Bibles, you can turn with me to Ephesians 5. We're going to go read verses 15 through 21. Let me know when you're there, if you're going. You're good? All right. So in Ephesians 5, 15 through 21, this is where Paul, the apostle, the author of much of the New Testament, says in this letter to the church in Ephesus, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So Paul begins verses 15 with the words, pay careful attention. So in India, we have an extreme sport that you've probably never heard of. It's called crossing the street. (laughs) If you've been there, you know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) It's not uncommon in India to find yourself standing on one side of a four to six lane road 
to get across the road, you're going to need to traverse cars, motorcycles, auto rickshaws, and giant trucks all barreling down the road 45, 50 miles an hour faster, and they have no intention of stopping for you. Behind you, there are people and then more people walking, talking, trying to sell you things, bumping into you, wondering if you might need a cup of chai. And simultaneously, as the vegetable vendors are hollering and the horns of the trucks are honking, you are trying to just pay attention. Because you know that getting across the street will take focus and intentionality. You have to pay attention to every step, timing the different car lanes correctly, making the most of each moment. And as you pay attention, you can begin to intentionally make moves to get you where you're going. And as much as this is an everyday thing, a normal part of life in India, that you get, you get used to it pretty quick, um, it's also really important. And it's a matter of life or death in a lot of ways. So when Paul says, pay attention, he's saying, focus. So that when you understand what's in front of you and where you're going, you can take intentional moves to get there. And so my first point today is actually this, that the kind of community that we find satisfaction in Jesus through is a community made up of people who live intentionally. So let's read verses 15 through 17 again. It says, pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So Paul is laying out for us here two different ways of living. There's an unwise way, which Paul calls the way of foolishness. It is a way marked by passivity and indifference. It's a way of living that is not thoughtful about how we are living and why, and that is out of step with God and his ways. And Paul's words, they also come with a warning. Do not be foolish. In other words, do not be tricked or deceived into this kind of life, but instead be wise. And to be wise, according to Paul here in Ephesians, is to make the most of the time, or as the New King James translation calls it, redeeming the time. So time is an interesting thing. It's arguably the most coveted resource in our world. I wish I had more time. I've said it, you've probably said it. At some point in our life, we have all said it. It seems to actually be like the one thing we all have in common. Whether you're the CEO of a company or an elementary school teacher or a college student or a full-time parent, regardless of our season of life, the truth is that we often have more to do than we have time to do it. Which is why Paul here is not advocating for a fuller schedule, but a more intentional one. So what does that look like? I'm glad you asked. In his book, Redeeming Your Time, Jordan Rayner says this about this passage. Paul was saying that part of our response to the gospel is, re is to redeem our time, to manage our time as carefully and wisely as possible. The Greek word, exagerazo, the accent, weird accent's mine, not the author's, sorry, which we translate to mean redeeming in redeeming the time, literally means to buy up or ransom. If you've ever said, I wish I could buy more time, that's the idea here. As Christians, we are called to buy up as much time as we can. 
Commenting on this passage, Tim Keller said, Christians are solemnly obliged not to waste time. Time stewardship is a command, end quote. He goes on to mention that the reason that we redeem our time is not just so that we have more time available to us, but so we can use that time intentionally to do God's will, to live in such a way that brings God glory and which also has the byproduct of bringing us deep joy. Jen Wilkin, a phenomenal Bible teacher, put it this way. We are commanded to be time redeemers, those who reclaim our time from useless pursuits and employ it to the glory of God. So for you sitting here this morning, are you focused? Are you paying attention to the way you live and the steps that you are taking? Are there areas in your life where you could be making the most of your time or where you might need to make some changes? The truth is, redeeming the time looks different for every single person in this room. Only you know your schedule, your priorities, your rhythms, and your distractions, and they will be different than mine and from the rest of the people in this room or in your life. For some, redeeming the time might have less to do with restructuring meetings or work schedules and a lot more to do with eliminating the things in your life that are distracting you and stealing your time which at a deeper heart level, guys, begins with focusing on Jesus and ensuring that he is the one enthroned in our hearts, not other things. In the world that we live in, in the, with the advent of social media and Instagram and YouTube, we are constantly being bombarded by voices and messages and people who want our attention. Whether they are a real life person that we actually know, an author whose words we read, or a podcaster whose voice springs forth from our AirPods, people have things to say and they want you to listen. And this is a big deal because who we let speak into our lives matters. It has a massive impact on the person that we are becoming. And so this brings me to my second point that the kind of community that we find satisfaction in Jesus through is a community made of people who know their influences. To know your influences is to know who and what you are letting shape you and the person that you are becoming. And Paul, he also knew the importance of this, which is why in Ephesians 5.18 he says, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit. So a little cultural context for you. In the days of Paul, life in the city of Ephesus revolved around the goddess Diana. And the temple of Diana was known kind of for like its worship experiences that involved getting really drunk and what one Bible commentator called frenzied behavior. I'll let you fill that in. <laughs> the worshipers of Diana would come under her control by coming under the control of wine. It's kind of like how in our culture we say you're under the influence of alcohol. It's like a very similar thing. And so Paul wasn't saying don't have a glass of wine because he's an uptight moralist. He was saying, what are you under the influence of? Are you under the influence of God's spirit? Or are you under the influence of something else? Or in other words, are we believing the truth that only Jesus can fully satisfy us? Or are we believing the lie that the satisfaction we are looking for can be found in something else. St. Augustine, one of the African church fathers who's deeply impacted um, the church um, even today, he wrote, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, 
and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And so restlessness is a desire to be filled and fulfilled, and we all have it. And what we, what we decide to be filled by or influenced by is ultimately what will shape us and the person that we're becoming. So then Paul says, instead of getting drunk with wine, be filled by the Spirit. So pastor and Bible commentator Neil Cole explained this in, explains this in a way that I found really helpful. He says, the phrase to be filled can be confusing. Every few days, we drive our cars to the pump and fill our tanks with gasoline. A full tank of fuel can take us a long way, so it is natural for us to think of being filled with the Spirit in the same way. But that would not be right. We do not get more of the Holy Spirit when we are filled and lose some of the Holy Spirit when we are not filled. The Spirit is not a commodity that we can acquire more or less of. So what does it mean to be filled with the Spirit? Neil Cole would be glad you asked. Paul contrasts it with being drunk with wine. If you get drunk with wine, you're not filled with alcohol. Like your body is still composed of the same parts of water and tissue and other matters as before you took your first drink. However, when you are drunk, you are under the influence of alcohol. In other words, alcohol affects your decisions, your actions, your thoughts, and your feelings. So this is what it means to be filled by the Spirit. It is to be under the influence of the Holy Spirit to such an extent that he impacts and affects your decisions, your actions, your thoughts, and your feelings. End quote. This means that God filled us with the Holy Spirit at our salvation, but the degree to which we allow our lives to be influenced by the Spirit, that choice is ours and ours alone. What Paul is saying is that it is the spirit that empowers us to live a certain way so that our lives can testify about Jesus. So how do we know if we are filled by the spirit? We take a careful look at our life. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was a medical doctor who turned into a pastor and theologian, he talked about how the impact of alcohol as a substance is a depressant but how the Holy Spirit, who he's a person and he's God, but if there was any type of effect he would have on a person, it would actually be the exact, the complete opposite of a depressant. The Holy Spirit would be a stimulant because the Spirit stimulates all of who we are so that we can live the most godly life possible. And this is evident through the type of life that we find in the next verses of Ephesians 5. So let's read Ephesians 5 verses 19 through 21 again. Speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. So <clears throat> I happen to know that some of you in here really love a good musical. Looking at you, Ryan and Lindsay. <laughs> but Paul is not saying that we need to turn our lives into like a 24-7 live Christian version of High School Musical. Like if you're into that, you can try it out. You have my full support. <laughs> but the idea that Paul is actually speaking to is the idea of having a life that is connected to other followers of Jesus and influenced by the Spirit, which leads me to my third and final point. 
that the kind of community that we find satisfaction in Jesus through is made up of people who live interconnected lives. Now, here's what I mean by interconnected life. In the New Testament, there are 59 one another verses, and these are commands specifically given to us as followers of Jesus to help us understand how we relate to one another in the local church. For example, don't worry, I'm not going to read all 59. Be at peace with one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Be patient with one another in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Encourage each other and build each other up. Love one another as Jesus has loved us. And the list goes on and on. One pastor said it this way, the primary activity of the New Testament church was one anothering one another, which means that it's very difficult to obey 59 one another commands outside of community or on your own. Now, remember, what we do, things like obeying these commands, it's shaped by who you are. Paul begins this actual chapter in Ephesians by saying, therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children. As followers of Jesus, we have been adopted into a new family, which means we have a new father. And because we are God's children, this means that we are deeply loved. So our obedience, our imitating of God, our doing what he has called us to do is never ever to earn his love or convince him to love us. We always obey from a place of knowing that we are more loved than we could ever imagine. We obey from love, never for it. And as God's children, we live out the family way. We imitate our father. We listen to his words and obey him. And we let him shape and create the kind of family with us together, each playing our part that he has in mind. So when Paul says in Ephesians 5.19, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, he is assuming an interconnected church community. And one of the ways that we actually live out this one anothering is through a lifestyle of praise and encouragement. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs traditionally were poetry put to music that is filled with tr just truth about who God is. So to speak to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs is to remind one another who God is, what he's done, and why we worship him. It is encouraging one another in every season of life with the hope that we have in Jesus. So when you're out here living your interconnected life, this life should be marked by active encouragement of the other followers of Jesus around you. Proverbs 16:24 says, kind words are like honey, sweet to the soul and healthy for the body. I don't know about you guys, but I'll take all the sweetness and health I can get. So again, our interconnected life should be marked by a lifestyle of praise and encouragement to one another. But encouragement, it's only one gift amongst many gifts that God has given us. God has given each and every person in this room unique gifts and talents and personalities. There are people in this room with a prophetic gift, the gift of generosity, the gift of mercy, the gift of service. 
And these unique gifts, well, they're not just for you to keep to yourself. They're for the church. They're, God gave them to you for his church. But beyond even the gifts that you have, it's the gift that you are. So my encouragement today, as you pay attention, pay careful attention to how you walk, as you live intentionally, as you are filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit, it's that you live interconnectedly in this community by bringing yourself completely. When you withhold yourself and who you are from community, we are less. Like, we need you. But when you bring yourself and your unique gifts and talents and experiences, we are all built up and encouraged, and we are better for it. God has placed you in this community at this time in your life and our life for a reason and a purpose. We need Gloria. We need Sarah. We need Sarah. <laughs> we need Mia. We need Grant. We need Michelle. And as we practice this act of community, of interconnectedness, we are satisfied in Jesus individually, but also together. As a community, we are satisfied in Jesus through our engagement of one another. So as I started this message today, I talked about how I have had to experience death to self-sufficiency to find satisfaction in Jesus. I've had to choose regularly to like give myself over, to surrender my life into this community, which has meant learning not just to receive, but also to use my gifts, even when it's stretching and hard to bless other people, which I have found great satisfaction in. For example, to be honest with you, um, I naturally don't want to bring myself up here as a preacher. Like, I do believe it's something that I'm called to. I think it's something I'm gifted in, but I'm like fairly new to this. Preparing the sermon, for example, was a harder process than normal. Um, Andy Rogers decided to assign me a new preaching coach by the name of uh, Grant Clark. And he has a different coaching style than what I'm used to when I'm preparing messages, and which was like so helpful. You're awesome. You're really um, but it was also more challenging. This is potentially the most that I've expressed myself in a sermon, in my own words, which has been hard. Like, it's vulnerable. It's uncomfortable. I want this to go well. I'm a perfectionist. You know, Grant was teasing me because I'm, like, pulling apart every sentence and word, trying to just make it perfect because I want to do it perfectly. And it can be hard to bring my gift because I'm scared of being rejected. I want this to go well. So standing up here today is an act of obedience to Jesus. It's dying to myself and my own flesh and comforts and to choose, and a choice, to use my gifts to serve and bless this community, hopefully, even though this is, a, this is stretching for me, you know? And I'd also rather not, like, share this with you. Like, I'd rather just pretend, like, this is easy, you know? Now, I'm, I'm not a hero. Like, I'm not up here, like, saying, look at me. But what I am trying to say is that doing this today is challenging for me, you know? Like, I'm trusting God to use me today, despite my imperfections, despite my insecurities, despite my flaws, to serve you the best that I can with my gifts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Just like I experienced the impact myself of a healthy church operating in their gifts, 
when I unexpectedly came here two years ago through the generosity of letting me stay in their homes and borrow their car and praying with and for me. And I trust that Jesus desires to and could do that through each and every one of us in this room. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we can find full satisfaction in you. And I thank you for each and every person in this room that makes up this local church and makes up this family. I thank you for John. I thank you for Gabriel. I thank you for Sarah and Kimber. Thank you for Jess. Thank you for Ryan. I thank you for Will. I thank you that no one is here, like, accidentally, but that you have placed every person here intentionally. Um, and God, I just pray that you would reveal to us and show us what it looks like to show up and to bring our whole selves, um, our whole self accepted and loved by Jesus for the building up of the church and for the glory of your name, God. Amen.